0: Again, this morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 13 as we seek this idea of the answer to it all, big and small, is to entrust yourself to God. The word entrust indicates to put something in someone else's care or protection. So again, the word entrust indicates to put something, right, in someone else's care or protection. Is it working, Ms. Karen? No. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Um, And so again, as you look to God's word, and if the screen works, great. If it doesn't, that's okay as well. So again, encourage you. Maybe it's an encouragement to all of us to make sure we're bringing our Bibles with us to church. As we wrestle with this and think through this text today, I think it's a reminder as we think about entrusting things again to someone, right, to their care or protection. Not all things are equal, right? I mean, contemplate that if. Today, I handed you my cell phone and said, hey, would you watch it? You you would say, well, okay, yeah, sure. But if I handed you my house key, there's like a greater level of commitment in our relationship. And then if you think about the fact, what if I took my daughter and said, hey, I've got to run out real quick and do something. Would you watch baby for a minute? In some ways, it would indicate to you our level of relationship, my level of trust or confidence in you by the value of the thing I give, right? I mean, if I give you my pencil, it's probably like, okay, great. But I hand you my daughter... That's a great, I mean, that's the greatest thing I have to give, right? I mean, and, and sons as well. And Emily's not here, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> that didn't go well. I love you, babe. Um, but again, listen, so Abram, he's this is that moment. He's having to trust God with his future and with his family. I, I, those are two of the greatest things we have, our future, what's ahead, and our family. And ultimately, as we're going to see, trusting God with our souls, with our eternity, And so the reminder is, guess what? If God is worthy of trusting with the biggest things, our future, our family, the eternity of our souls, is he not worth trusting with the smaller things? Our jobs? Our relationships? Our current health situation? I think we can all easily answer yes to those questions, but today's text reminds us it's a lot more difficult to entrust ourselves to God than we might think. The truth is, we tend to be a lot like Lot in our story today. We like to trust our own judgment and our own wisdom, and not God's. And so, the try just the word of God reminds us: listen, there's another way. And as believers, listen, the call is to overcome by entrusting ourselves and others to God. We overcome as believers when we entrust ourselves and others to God. Remember, the word "entrust" means to put someone in. Put something into someone else's care or protection. And that's what we're going to wrestle with today with the story of Abram and Lot here in Genesis 13. Who can we entrust and care to protect us? What threatens that entrusting? How can we overcome it? And then finally, maybe one way we might just say, hey, if I'm entrusting myself to the Lord, what's one way my life might look in light of this text? So let's start today. Again, starting this first truth. God is worthy of our trust. Again, God is worthy of our trust. The text begins in Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, saying, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with them into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and I, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. You may look at this story and think, well, look at old Abram leaving Egypt all pockets fat with with benjamins and rolling out but if you're with us last week you know that's not necessarily how the story unfolded you see abram and it got there and his wife was pretty and so he makes up this lie to say that she's he's a sister and ultimately it goes really bad right pharaoh takes him as a part of sarah as a part of his harem and things are bad until god intervenes and brings plagues upon pharaoh's house And ultimately, the Lord, right, delivers and drives them out. But he not only drives them out, Lord, and sends them out of Egypt, the Lord blesses them with livestock and servants and on and on. The reminder is, guess what? God was faithful. God does exactly what he promised to do to Abram, to bless him. And so, but notice again, back in verse 2. Again, I know the screen's not going to work, but it's okay. Look at verse 2. It says, now Abram was very rich. That word rich, it's, it's you don't see it maybe in our English Bibles, but the Hebrews already used that word back in chapter 12. When it said that the famine was very severe, it's the same word that's being used that Abram is very rich. It's a word that indicates weight, right, or, or intensity or heaviness. And so when it says, hey, guess what? The famine was severe, it was intense, it was heavy. But now Abram leaves Egypt and he's rich, he's, he's abundantly rich and I think it's just maybe just this moment of reminder, is that God can take what seems to be crushing you right now and turn it into a blessing. God can take what seems to be crushing and crippling your life at this moment and He can turn it into a blessing. Now, Abram didn't earn or deserve that because you may be thinking, "Oh, well, Blake, I'm not earning or deserve it. No, guess what? Abram didn't either. He was lying and conning and deceiving and manipulating, but that's why it's grace, beloved. It's the good news of God's heart, His mercy and His grace. So what's Abram do in response to this? Well, verse 4 says that Abram called upon the name of the Lord. That's the response of our heart to see what God's done for us. Again, as we hear this call, who are we called to entrust? It's this God who is unlike any other. We're entrusting ourselves to Him. Psalm 50 verse 15 speaks similarly of this this text in situations just like this. Listen to what it says. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Abram was in trouble. He had no way out. And while the text doesn't record it, right, we are assuming that Abram was crying out to the Lord. Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, help and deliver me. And it says the Lord does. He delivers Abram just as we see. But here in, in Psalm 50, verse 15, this is what it says at the end. And you shall glorify me. You know what's interesting? That word glorify is the same word that's used of being very rich and the same word about that famine being very severe. It's this word of weight and intensity. What's God saying to us? He's saying, listen, I should be what's most valuable. I should be the greatest intensity of your life. What is the greatest weight? What do you give your attention the most to? What is your life centered around? In light of what I've done for you. That's what he says. Listen, you call to me in the midst of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You shall say, God, you are worth more than anything else. You are what's most valuable to me. Have you considered that for a moment? That every Sunday when you gather here, you're gathering here this morning. is indicating some way that you you are saying, God, you're you're valuable to my life. I'm giving this time to you to gather with the body of Christ to worship. As you sing the songs this morning. You were singing, maybe not because you have the best voice, or maybe that's your favorite style of song, but you were singing, why? Because God's worthy of that. He, he's worthy of that. Like, God, there's no one. When you gave this morning, you were giving, why? Because God's worthy of that, isn't he? He's, it, it's Your heart's been so captured by him. So when we think about that, as we gather with the church, we begin to wrestle with the fact, man, God, there is no one else that came and lived the holy life I was called to live. There's no one else that died the death that I deserve to die, facing your judgment and wrath. And there's no one else that on the third day, that Sunday morning, a morning like this, was raised again to declare that my eternal life is in Christ and not my own. You see, beloved, as we begin to center our hearts and minds around that, we begin to realize, man, that's what my life should be giving its weight to, its time to, its attention to, my finances to, my thoughts to, my desires to. That's who God is. But this text is going to remind us that there's a lot of roadblocks in our hearts to that. If it was just that easy, man, we'd all be walking down easy streets, so to speak, but there is much that threatens that very thing. And so it brings us to our second truth. Famine, flourishing, and the desires that endanger our entrusting. I apologize, it's no, on the screen, it's kind of a lot, but famine, flourishing, and the desires that endanger our entrusting. Because again, we're called to entrust to God our lives, but there's much danger. So look what it says, but kick back verse 5 again. It says, And Lot went with Abram. And it says also he had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For the possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Isn't it interesting? What drove, do you remember, what drove Abram and his family to Egypt? Do you remember what it was? The famine, right? And now what seems to be the struggle for Lot and his family... It's their flourishing. The very things they'd acquired in the famine in the midst of Egypt has now in some way created family division. And, 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 and it's just I think it's just a reminder that it's not only the hard times that endanger our faith, but the good times as well. In some ways, maybe the good times, when things are rocking and going well, there's an even greater danger because we think less of the Lord. We think, man, everything's going good. Right, And so there's this tendency to rely upon ourselves, to put it on cruise control, so to speak. And so again, it's just this a reminder as we look at this text of like, what's dividing them. It's the resources and the things they'd acquired in Egypt. And I wrote this question, have you considered that what you seek most today might divide your family tomorrow? Have you considered that what you're seeking the most after today, whatever that is, the things of the world, it might be the very thing that divides your family tomorrow? And we're left to wonder, well, what will Abram's response be? Will he lie, manipulate again, just like last chapter? Well, guess what happens? Pick up the wood now, verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It's not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Abram goes to Lot and he offers him first choice. He says, listen, if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left, right? Or or if you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. It's maybe like one of those old westerns you've watched before, right? This town ain't big enough for the two of us, right? It's kind of one of those, like, you kind of feel that a little bit. Oh, maybe it's going to work here. We'll see. And so it's just that reminder. Let's see. Where are we? Yeah. um, And so... And so anyway, so, so as we walk through this, right, Lot's left to make this decision. Like, what's Lot going to do in this decision-making that he has to do? And maybe it's not going to work, right? It's okay. Just leave it. Yeah, yeah. And so as he's there wrestling, what, what's he doing? Verse 10, look what it says. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. Lot lifts up his eyes and sees. Now, listen, this isn't necessarily bad, but it is similar wording that echoes back to the garden in Genesis 3. It was Eve, right? Remember, she looks to the tree and the tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. And she sees that it's good for food and pleasing the eye. And she reaches and takes. It's these echoes of this heart that's thinking about your own way and not the ways of God. Furthermore, if that wasn't clear enough, look what happens. In verse 11 there, it says that, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed which direction? Does it say in your Bible there? Come on, follow with me. East. Now, if you've been walking with us through Genesis, east has this indication continually that things aren't good. When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, guess what direction they go? East. When Cain, in chapter 4, kills his brother Abel and he leaves his family, guess what direction he goes? East. Guess what? When they go in chapter 11 to build the Tower of Babel, guess what direction they're headed? East. East. So now we see that Lot's headed east. It's just a reminder from the text, like, listen, when you head east, it's this indication of going your own way, of not walking with the Lord. And further, guess what? Sodom's there. Now, listen, there's some indication, like, we don't necessarily know. Does Lot know all about Sodom? I I don't know, but my assumption is word like traveled in, like it kind of in some ways does now. You know about places. You've heard about places, right? You're kind of aware about what things happen if you go there or do that. And the text just simply says in verse 13, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And as the text is going to unfold in weeks to come, we're going to see more. But I think Moses is wanting us to see, guys, Lot, this isn't the way. Maybe you need to hear that this morning. The way that you're on. The Lord just saying to you, this isn't the way. The path you're on. We just asked this morning, what city are you after? Are you after the city of men or the city of God? How might you tell? Consider what drives your decision making. Ultimately, what's at the center of your life? What, again, this, that, that word, right, that's being used, this Hebrew word, what is the greatest weight, the gravitas of your life? When you consider the decisions that you're making or the decisions you have made or going to make, look at the common denominator, is it always your own fame and your own glory and your own name and what's best for you? Or do you see the name of Christ? Do you see others in that place of saying, God, I want to help love my neighbor and, and share the gospel of this community. Take the gospel to the nations. What is at the center of your decision making? I think the way of Lot warns. Guess what? If what it's after right now is your best life now and what seems right in your own eyes and what's easier and happier... Beloved Sodom will soon be destroyed, and so will every other city of the kingdom of man. And I think the Bible throughout reminds us, if you keep seeking this world, you will be destroyed too. I think the truth is, we come to this story and we like to think, man, I'm a lot more like Abram than my buddy Lot. But as I wrestled with it this week, I thought, man, i got a lot in common with Lot. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to pick the place that I think will best serve me. There's times when I make decisions without even contemplating or praying to the Lord. Now, again, I know there's everyday decisions. I'm, not, I'm saying just things. So often I think about my own flesh so often, so easily. There's times when we want what we want, even if it puts our uncle or her mom or dad or whoever on the outside right because again if we're at the heart of every decision every decision centered upon me then it's always what's best for me i think it's that prideful chant of our culture we eat first who cares about everybody else we're always going to be at the table it's this selfish decision that's revealing it and listen this isn't just an indication like oh man lots falling the wrong path i think it's something deeper it's a heart that is posturing itself to seek its own kingdom and its own glory and its own name and what seems right in our own eyes. It's the book of Judges, isn't it? And each did as it was right in his own eyes. I think we might hear Jesus saying to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, I tell you the truth, that whoever does not believe in me stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Did you hear that? He didn't say, you stand condemned at the end of time. He says, at this very moment, when we reject God's Word and the truth of who Christ is and His sacrifice for us, Jesus says, you not only stand condemned at the end, I want you to know that you stand condemned at this moment. I mean, That's a terrifying thing. I, I was reminded of it last night when we were praying and Paddy just prayed this prayer. She said, "God, I pray that you won't let those bad boys kill Jesus again on the cross." And I had to talk to her just briefly like, "Well, listen, the scripture said that he died once and for all and he's not going to die ever again, but as she gets older, guess what she needs to realize? We are those bad boys, baby. We're the bad girls and the bad boys. We're guilty." And not deserving of God's grace and mercy. And maybe you hear that and you think, Blake, man, that sounds a lot like my heart. Like, what am I to do? Well, the good news of the gospel, and that brings us to our third truth, entrust yourself to God by faith. I mean, think about it. Abram's just after a low point last week of failing to trust God. He had tried to do his own thing and work it out his own way or his own strength. But again, now look what happens. This is a moment when Abram's just acting differently. Why? Because, well, he's the oldest after all. Lot's is what? His nephew, isn't he? He's the oldest. He has the rights. I mean, he can make the decision. Hey, listen, I'm going to go left, buddy, and you go right. But he doesn't. Furthermore, it was God who made the promise to Abram, not to Lot, that I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And I'm going to give you this land in some way. Abram, in this moment, we read the text and we think, Abram, you're endangering the promised land. Like, buddy, don't, don't, don't. I think that must be Moses' point. I think Moses wants us to see that there must be something deeper in the heart of Abram that's driving his decision-making in this moment. And I think it's this. He trusts in God. He trusts in God. That Abram is walking by faith and not by sight. Abram believes that God is indeed sovereign, that he rules and reigns over all, and that his word is true and it will never fail. And so Abram is trusting in the promises of the Lord. Right, that old song, trusting the promises of God? I cannot what? I cannot fail. In other words, Abram doesn't have to make sure he always gets his way. Why? Because God's in control. I mean, think about that just if you're a kiddo in this room this morning. When it gets time to line up to go to the gym or to lunch or whatever, I remember those days, like everybody's scrapping to get in the front, right? What if you just stand back and let some others go in front? Or what if one of your brothers and sisters and and there's a toy and everybody wants it or that that piece of dessert and you're like, man, man, get get out of my way and i got to have that. Now the temptation will be, right? Let's, Let's be honest, even if you're kiddos, you hear that and you think today, right, when it gets time for dessert or that toy, you're like, hey, didn't you hear what they said at church today? You're supposed to let me have that. I think that's the heart of kiddos, and let's be honest, big kids in this room too. Isn't it? Come on. I mean, that's my marriage. Isn't your marriage so often? What have you done for me what? Lately. What have you done for me lately? I mean, that's just my heart posture, is it? I mean, that's... Avery's it's, it's just... He's trusting the Lord, and so it just reveals, right? Whether you're a kid and you always want to be in the front, always have first and whatever... And so Abram faces this, this big question that I think we need to pose to ourselves. Do we trust God to keep his promises and live our lives according to that trust? Or do we trust ourselves to make ourselves happy and to give ourselves a fulfilled life? I think lot shows us, guys, if you follow your own wisdom and your own strength, it's only going to end one way. Destruction, brokenness, pain, and judgment. But the good news is there's a remedy. There's a remedy. Because Abram shows us that it's ultimately trusting the Lord. And it reminds us there was one who came after him. And guess what he did? He entrusted himself to God. Listen to these words this morning. First Peter chapter 2, beginning verse 23. It says, when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he, he didn't threaten. Listen to what this says. Verse 23 of 1 Peter chapter 2. But continued entrusting himself to To him who judges justly. Did you hear that? He's he's being mocked and ridiculed, declared to be a blasphemer. But in that moment, he doesn't threaten in return. He doesn't repay evil for evil. What's he do? He entrusts you. It says he continues entrusting. This is his, his heart course. He continues entrusting himself to God who judges justly. What a moment. Why? Because he realizes that in the end, the Father will make all things right. I know, listen, we all want to get our revenge and get ours and feel better. But beloved, the way of the gospel is to entrust all things to the Father. And what's it bring about? Well, verse 24 says after this in 1 Peter 2, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that you and I might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been what, church? Healed. That we might die to sin and live to, right. did you hear that? It wasn't just, he gave his life on the cross that you and I might get that free ticket to heaven and go on with our lives. That's not it. That's not the gospel. The gospel is a call that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we might stop trusting in ourselves and trust in God. We might start relying upon, stop relying upon man's wisdom and rely upon God's wisdom moment to everyone here who's from God everyone like Abram who's lied and deceived everyone here who like Lot has been seeking of your own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God the good news is this is not a surprise to God and by his grace and in his love for you he sent forth his only begotten son that today if you would believe in him you shall not what church perish but have everlasting what life it's the hope of the gospel what a moment of truth and guess what? Abram does that very thing. Pick up in verse 14, back in Genesis 13. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the Listen to this. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. I mean, if he made his offspring like the dust in my house, that would be a lot. Come on. This is like the dust of the earth. Some of you like me, maybe you don't always claim, but like, you know what? That's just another, baby, that's another promise, a reminder of the promises of God, right? I'm leaving that dust. It just reminds me that God's promise. Anyway, all right, back, 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 back. Come on. Arise, he says, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Did you see it? The life of faith submits itself to God, and it puts others first. And from our eyes and the eyes of our culture, that appears to be losing. How can you give somebody else first choice? How can you lay down your life and put your spouse or your parents or your children or that? The enemy. The person that drives you crazy. The annoyance. The person of that other political party. Or that other persuasion, or whatever it is, how can you love them? I think Abram's story says to us, guess what, you know who ends up in the promised land? It's not Lot by his own strength, it's Abram by the promises of God. Does that encourage you to entrust the Lord? That's the way? I mean, Christ, how does, how does He secure redemption? By entrusting Himself to the Lord. By God, you're going to pour out your wrath and judgment that they might do. We might, that you might be free. God, you're faithful. It's the hope of this gospel. So again, it's this hope of just trusting the Lord. So again, some of you, maybe you're like one, one of my buddies, man, just a long time of being barren. No children. And just thought, man, it just wasn't going to happen. But there came a day When the Lord, remember Lot, Lot lifted up his own eyes. But notice what it says in verse 14. The Lord says to Abram, lift up your eyes. The Lord said to my buddy, lift up your eyes. There came a child from the womb of his bride. Does that mean every story ends that way? No, it doesn't. But I hope it's an encouragement to you just to trust in the Lord. And whatever you're wrestling with, he's worthy of it, beloved. Beloved. He's worthy of it. So let's close maybe just this text here. Just the last couple of weeks, but Todd and I have been talking like, man, there's just something about this text that I think is just really practical that we ought to take with us for a moment. And it's this fourth and last truth. That peacemakers entrust themselves to God. Right? One of those ways you say, you know what, how might I know if I'm actually trusting my life to the Lord? One of the identifying markers of that from this text is this. You're a peacemaker. Consider again the conflict between Abram and Lot. And don't simply think about their outward actions. Brother Todd was reminded, like, listen, we've got to go deeper. We've got to look at the hearts. The gospel continually deals with our hearts, doesn't it? I mean, Abram's, his family, right, his herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, they're squabbling, there's strife between them, there's disunity, there's disharmony, there's dysfunction. Why is that? Maybe maybe it's their love of money and possessions, and right? Maybe they want the best watering hole in their pride. says, well, oh, you can't have that. It's going to be ours." I, I don't know what's happening deeper in their hearts, but... I mean, just consider for a moment, you ever been on a family trip, like extended family? Doesn't take long, does it, for things kind of like go south? Right, somebody says something, does something, or somebody like, does what you think they shouldn't, and like all these different moments that happen. So this isn't shocking. We live in this world. We know what family strife looks like. We see this tension. We feel this tension. But I think what's most shocking is that Abram is in the position of power, and yet he concedes. He allows Lot to choose. I wonder today, is there a situation you're in right now that maybe you need to seek peace through conceding to the other person? They don't hear me and think that's always the case, right? I mean, there's, there's times when even legal, right? There's, there's, there's a need of that, those judgments to be rendered. But Romans 12 and 18 says these words, As far as it depends on you. Hear that. As far as it depends on you. Live at peace with everyone. What a statement. That's the heart of the peacemaker. As far as it depends on you. Listen, there's things out of our control. There's some folks right, we, we just, man, they just don't want reconciliation. But as far as it depends on you, let this be your heart. This is the heart of one who trusts the Lord, right? Because, I mean, the temptation is to think, well, man, I, listen, they're going to get ahead or they're going to whatever. They're going to... No, that's why we're just like following the example of Christ who continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. God, in the end, you'll make all things right. I can trust you. I can trust you. But I think the other component of peacemaking is, is that Abram approaches Lot. I think it says that he desires peace. Maybe there's a relationship right now that you just need to take a step toward. Maybe it's a marriage that, man, is just cold as ice right now. And neither one of you are willing to give an inch. Maybe you think you're 10% wrong or 5% wrong or no percent wrong. I, I don't know. But is Abram's example of going, right? Being in the position of power. He, has the, he humbles himself, doesn't he? Maybe it's a relationship with children or children with parents. Maybe there's somebody here in the church. When you see them, you're just like, man, I just, uh, you just, just walk by. You don't want to talk to them. You intentionally avoid them. I don't know, maybe it's at work or at school. I don't know what it is. But who might you today just simply take a step in their direction? In other words, saying to them, listen, the door is open. The door is open. I I would love to be reconciled. I don't know if this, this, this will be your heart, but I want you to know the door is open. I want to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. They may be having some hard conversations, addressing some sin and some issues. But as far as it depends upon you, beloved, live at peace with everyone. And I think where does that flow from? It flows from a heart that trusts the Lord. To the church this morning, I think this text provides a great example of a verse that we so often quote, Proverbs 4. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Heart. And lean not on your own what? Understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall what? Direct your paths. Maybe you sit there and you hear that and you wonder, what's that look like, man? Abram is an example of that very verse lived out. Abram trusted God with the biggest things his family, his future, and ultimately the eternity of his soul, his faith. And if, guys, God is worthy of that level of trust, what about the small things of the day that you're struggling to trust him with? Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. To the unbeliever, I hope today that you hear the hope of the gospel. Why? Because last chapter, guess what? Abram wasn't getting it right. And the good news is that does not prevent or stop God from pouring out His mercy and grace on Abram. In other words, I don't know where you've been or what you've done, and you may feel the most unworthy, uncapable. You think, man, I'm at the very back of the line. God would never, ever show forgiveness and grace to me. Beloved, you must hear the good news of the gospel. Our God delights to save people like you and me. Come on, church. Amen? They need to hear it. They're sitting next to you. Remind them this is true. After all, it's your story. That's my story. I mean, don't we hear the Apostle Paul saying to us, but I'm the chief of sinners. But God showed that grace and mercy to me that he might show his great love to others. Today, the hope of the gospel comes to you. I pray that you might know that forgiveness and that mercy and grace by coming to Christ. Would you pray with me? Blessed Father, we thank you that you alone are worthy of our trust. Father, I pray now for those in this room, God, that they will entrust all things to you. I pray they will entrust themselves to you, their souls. I pray that what will be at the center of their lives, what will be most valuable, most important we will not be them. It won't even be their own family. God, it will be you and your glory. And God, when that gets right, everything else will find its place. Father, strengthen us to trust in you and to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. You said, for what is seen is indeed temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God, give us eyes to see there. I pray it in the name of Jesus for his glory. And the church said, Amen.